You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan-sided network. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today, I want to talk... I want to start talking NBA draft, and I, I really have, I don't want to say avoided the subject, but I, I haven't wanted to dip my toe in until I was ready to go all in on it. And of course, we've only got, what, a couple of weeks until the NBA draft lottery, and we'll find out whether or not the draft conversation is even really all that relevant here at Lockdown Wolves. Uh, but there's still a 27.6% chance that the Timberwolves end up with the top three pick in this draft. And of course, that means there's a 72 plus percent chance that they don't have a pick at all. So I do want to kind of dip my toe in. I want to mention a couple of things um, related to the draft, the top five in the draft, specifically, I guess, the top three. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today. I also want to talk about uh, the NBA playoffs and some concepts that may apply to the Timberwolves moving forward. And this is actually spurred on by an article at Dunking with Wolves, where I'm the co-editor by one of our contributors. And, and I'll, uh, I want to get into his article a little bit, a couple of the points he made. And there's also a tie into the draft there um, that I think is important and, and a little bit of a tie into the conversation that I've had here over the past few days about what the Wolves are going to do at the four. Is Chris Finch going to want to play bigger? All those things are kind of inter interlinked. Um, so I want to talk about that today as well. And then we'll, we'll close the show by talking about the NBA playoffs a little bit and what happened in Monday night's action. So quite a bit to talk about today as we, uh, as we kind of move through the early stages of the offseason, look ahead to the NBA draft lottery, which is coming up very quickly. Um, a quick reminder here off the top, you can follow this show anywhere you listen to podcasts that includes Apple, Google, Spotify, and of course the all new Odyssey app, that's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. And uh, at B-Beacon. That's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Um, actually, before we get to all that, though, I want to hit on some quick ownership news. And I, I think I'm... I think I mean news in the loose sense of the word. This is more just kind of a, a further development in the ongoing, as I've decided to call it here, saga between Glenn Taylor his his uh, primary minority ownership group, the Orbit group led by uh, Meyer Orbach, and then also the incoming group with Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie, and just how messy that's gotten. So we found out, I think it was about three weeks ago now, that uh, Meyer Orbach, who is the primary holder in, in the largest minority stakeholder in the Timberwolves, his company is called Orbit, Orbit Sports, um, he was filing a suit, uh, a formal complaint in, in district court in Minneapolis that Glenn Taylor was not extra, was not allowing him to exercise his tag along rights, which in layman's terms, as I understand it, and I'm obviously I'm not a lawyer, um, but it seems like the tag along rights are basically if the team is going to be sold, then minority owners have the right to divest at whatever value the team will be sold at um, and, and divest before the team is sold to a new majority owner, which makes sense. Taylor, so so uh, Orbach and Orbit Sports are alleging that Glenn Taylor did not give them that opportunity before agreeing to sell the majority of the team to this new group led by Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez. Now, Glenn Taylor has made his official response 
And I want to cite a couple of different reports here. I, the local guys, you know, Chris Chris Hine over at Star Tribune and also Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast, both had some good stuff on this. Jason Morin, uh, who's a, a law student at Hofstra, apparently had some great great screenshots or or screen grabs from the uh, from the actual response from Glenn Taylor. Uh, Jason Morin is at J Moore M O R R and the number one on Twitter. He had some screenshots and some some context to add that basically Taylor's response is that the sale, because it's not an official sale yet, it's an option to sell. And A-Rod and Lori are not majority owners until 2024. Therefore, the tag-along rights cannot be exercised. And the Orbit Group and none of the other minority partners would be able to divest at the value that Taylor is selling the team at. And so at Orbit, they're basically, they're saying that, hey, if, if we, if we didn't know we couldn't divest in this sort of a situation. We never would have invested in the first place. So it really just depends on on how this is interpreted by the court. And, and obviously, again, not a lawyer here. So it, it's really hard to say how this is going to all shake out because both sides just reading this seem to have a legitimate claim. And I guess it just depends on on how that that legalese is all interpreted by the court. Um, one other note, and this is, well, actually two more things. Another thing that's pulled out of this by Jason Morin on Twitter was he listed out the ownership breakdown between all partners, which is fascinating. We we always knew that Glenn Taylor had the majority stake and we've known the names of some of the limited partners, but Taylor as a whole has roughly 68% of ownership in the team, according to this breakout. And Meyer Orbach's group, Orbit, has 16.3% and it's by far the second largest shareholder. The next one is Linsong Sports Development, which is a 4.7% share. And there's a few other names in here that are familiar. Uh, Bill and Terry Pop from Pop Communications in the Twin Cities. John Bolero is a name that's been out there. Um, the estate of of uh, Phil Saund- or, uh, of Flip Saunders, the estate of Flip Saunders is the smallest minority owner with 0.27% of the team um, in, in the estate of Flip Saunders, which is interesting. We, we knew that he was his estate and... Um, you know, his wife and Ryan and their family had had some ownership stake in the team, but I didn't know exactly how much it was. So it was interesting to see that. Um, and then one last bit, and this is from Dane Moore on Twitter. He notes that as part of the the response, it is listed out the actual stake growth of, of the A-Rod and Mark Laurie group that by the end of this, excuse me, by the end of next year, 2022, the stake would be 20%. By the end of 23, it would be 40%. And by December of 24, it would be 60%. We knew that it would be by the end of 24 that majority ownership would be achieved by the new group, but uh, we did not know that the tiering, I guess, of the steps. So it would go from presumably less than 20% this year to 20% in a year, then 40 and then 60 by the end of 24. Um, so that's all very interesting. And, and who knows how quickly this will or won't get solved in the court's but it's a fascinating, um, I, I, well, and disappointing thing that's going to play out in in the courts because it's not the sort of publicity that the Timberwolves need, not the sort of thing that what could be a positive thing, which is a Rod and Mark Laurie, a progressive ownership group um, with with a big name and and a big business name in Laurie and a big sports name in a Rod. I mean, this could have been a very good thing, and now suddenly it's it's turned ugly, which is pretty Timberwolvesy, if I if I do say so myself. Um, so we'll see where this all heads, but, uh, it'll be interesting to watch. All right. Next, I want to talk about uh, like three things at once, really the, the playoffs and, and how we can apply some of the concepts we're seeing in the playoffs to the Timberwolves. And then I want to tie that back to the NBA draft and touch on that briefly before we close the show by talking about the actual NBA playoffs. Speaking of the playoffs, let's talk about the Michelob ultra player of the week. 
Um, really, this is this is not hard. I mean, we're looking at the last week in the playoffs. I, I think last week our player of the week was Damian Lillard. It was coming off of his double overtime, 55 points, crazy performance. This week, if you just said who's the best player in the playoffs the last week, and uh, I, I, I think it's pretty clear, it's Donovan Mitchell, right? Over four games in the past week. Now, of course, they've lost the last two, the, the Jazz have, including last night. Monday night, they lost to the Clippers, and the series is now tied two games apiece. But over the four games against the Clippers, Donovan Mitchell has averaged 37.3 points per game, all while exuding joy, happiness, and enjoyment, just as Michelob Ultra would expect. 37 points per game on 47% shooting, 46.8% to be exact, 45.1% from beyond the arc, averaging 5.8 made threes per game. He's made six threes in three of the last four games. He's shooting 80% from the line on seven and a half free throw attempts per game, also chipping in four and a half assists, four rebounds, and a steal per game in the series so far against the Clippers. And as Michelob Ultra would remind you, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. We're seeing that enjoyment from Donovan Mitchell, even without Mike Conley on the court. He is exuding the joy, the happiness, and the enjoyment that we would expect out of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is this week's Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Okay, let's go ahead and launch into this playoff slash draft slash Timberwolves conversation. Um, I, I want to start by shouting out Zach Lung over at Dunking with Wolves, where I am the co-editor. Zach Lung is one of our uh, best writers, really. And he put together an article entitled, Three Things the Wolves Can Learn from, from the Playoffs. And sometimes these can be fairly surface level, but these are these are this type of a concept, right? I mean, because obviously the best teams are doing the best things, generally speaking, and the worst teams should try and emulate those things, right? Um, but he's got a couple of really good points within this article. I'll list the the two first, and then I'll talk about the one that I want to really dig in on. One is is the sheer number of minutes that guys are playing. Now, this is pretty typical across the board in the playoffs, but um, how heavy the minutes loads are, which is why we see teams limit minutes. Part of the reason why we see teams limit minutes for their best players in season is so that they can play them 38, 40, 42 minutes in the playoffs. And we're seeing that shorter benches for everybody. So that's not a major surprise. Um, also the need for an elite backcourt. You look at the best teams, obviously Phoenix with Devin Booker, Chris Paul and Atlanta with Trey Young and some of their, the other guys in their backcourt. Um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, obviously, we've already talked about the need for him to have Mike Conley. So to have multiple elite backcourt players, the Timberwolves seem to have that now with Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. But besides that, you know, one of the reasons Phoenix improved so much is that they upgraded from Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul. That's that's one of a couple of reasons why a couple of main reasons why they're so much better this year than last year. Um, Ricky Rubio is a good player, but he's not elite, right? You need at least a couple elite backcourt guys. And realistically, in a playoff series, you're looking at Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell as your elite two, and Rubio's probably your third guy, and you can mix in a Jalen Noel or whoever else, and, and maybe the roster gets upgraded. But the need for an elite backcourt, and and the Wolves have not had what you could call an elite backcourt really since the Western Conference Finals team in 04. I mean, the closest thing, obviously, would be Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague, but I don't think anybody would call Jeff Teague an elite player. And, and at that point... You know, uh, Derek Rose was coming off the bench. The Wolves had just acquired him in season that year, at not elite. Um, I mean, there was it was a good backcourt, Jimmy Butler leading the way. But late career Jeff Teague, late career Derek Rose did not equal an elite backcourt. It was one of the shortcomings of that team. Um, Jamal Crawford, same thing, late career Jamal Crawford. So 
Yeah, that's obvious. Um, and, and I think that the Wolves certainly have taken a step in the proper direction there uh, regarding having an elite backcourt because they do have now D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. The point that I want to key in on that also applies to the draft, and I guess technically so could that last one, is, is adding more elite backcourt players, um, is the second point that Zach makes at Dunkin' with Wolves. Again, the article is called Three Things the Wolves Can Learn from the Playoffs. And that's the importance of two-way bigs. Um, the, the, so the examples that he pulls out are in the Portland-Denver series, which now, of course, feels really dated because Denver just got swept in the second round. But Ennis Kanter was, was basically unplayable in that series. He had, a jaw, as, as Zach calls it, a jaw-dropping net rating of minus 31.2 per 100 possessions and couldn't be played at the end of the, at the, end of the series. And, and as Zach calls it, he, he was essentially a traffic cone when playing against Nikola Jokic and the rest of Denver's mobile uh, front court. And, and that's 100% true. Um, you look at the at the Atlanta Hawks, Clint Capella and John Collins are both two-way bigs. Um, you know, Clint Capella is a better defender than Collins, but Collins can be okay defensively. And Capella, is, he is a two-way big. He's very good defensively and he's solid offensively. Um, and the Timberwolves obviously have Carl Anthony Towns. W- what else is there in terms of, two-way bigs in the, in the front court. Nas Reed was impressive defensively this year after losing quite a bit of weight, 40 pounds or whatever it is he lost. I thought he was a lot better. Jade McDaniels has the potential to be an elite two-way big, although he's more a three slash four than he is a true big. But because of his size and length and defensive ability and the offensive upside, I think that there's real potential there for him to be the other two-way big. Um, you know, Jared Vanderbilt doesn't bring offensively to the table what you would want in a in a in a two way big. That's pretty much it on the roster that you would that you would look at having that possible. And I don't think Nas Reed's ever going to be. And, and I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think he'll ever be a good enough defender to be called a two way big. And you could argue that Towns. I mean, I'm I'm projecting a little bit honestly by calling him a two way big because he was bad defensively for a couple of years in a row there, and and now I think he's taken you know, a mini, a mini step back in the right direction. I do think Towns can be a plus defender. He was pretty average this year, certainly an improvement over the past couple of years. So Towns fits into that category, but how does this relate to the draft? Well, if the Timberwolves land in the top three, say if they get the number one pick and, and I, I guess maybe I'm, I certainly am, I guess, tipping my hand for my future big board. Cade Cunningham should be number one on everybody's big board. The Wolves would take Cade Cunningham if they got the first pick, they just would. But if they land two or three, and Cunningham's off the board, what do they do? Um, and, and I'm not going to get too in-depth on prospects now, but one of the prospects in the top five, who at first glance, you may think, ah, oh, the Wolves wouldn't consider him, is Evan Mobley, the big out of USC. And Evan Mobley is a two-way big, and he's a legit seven-footer. Um, he could play next to Carl Anthony Towns, and he could be effective on both ends of the floor. He can he can guard on the perimeter. He could shoot from the perimeter. He can play in the pick and roll game, um, and you know they—they they don't. He's not super physical, but but Towns can be. They don't need two guys that can play in the post consistently, so that wouldn't be Mobley's Mobley's job. He would essentially be your your third option on offense, probably your fourth option, I guess, to start after Towns, Edwards, and Russell. Um, but to put a two way big next to Towns, who has who has the ultimate offensive ceiling, would be that that would work if they're both somewhat mobile. If Mobley's your your big that you're primarily going to allow to get out on the perimeter and defend on the perimeter, Towns can do that in a pinch, but he doesn't have to. 
Um, and also Mobley could be, a, he likely will be a better shot blocker than Carl Anthony Towns at the NBA level. Um, now, I'm not saying Mobley's number two on my big board. I'm just saying that he could be number two on my big board and it wouldn't be crazy. Um, I talked last week about the fit, potential fit if the Wolves were able to trade for Miles Turner, which is admittedly jumping um, you know, a couple of steps, not jumping to conclusions. I, I think it's pretty obvious the Wolves would be interested in Miles Turner. And that's all the report was last week from, I forget his name, but the writer at the Indianapolis Star that said that the Timberwolves badly want Miles Turner. Um, that's not saying the Wolves are going to get Miles Turner. It's not saying that they have the, I mean, they, I guess they would have the assets to get him, but it's not saying that they'd pony up to get Miles Turner. I did a whole show, basically, I think it was Friday of last week, about why Turner is a fit. Evan Mobley is arguably a better fit. Now, the difference is we know that Turner's a, a plus defender at the NBA level. We don't know that about Mobley yet, but he projects that way, and the offensive ceiling is far higher than Miles Turner. So if the Wolves were to land two or three, and Evan Mobley's on the board, You'd have to take a long, hard look at drafting Evan Mobley and sliding him in next to Towns. And worst case scenario is if Towns leaves in three years or if he wants out in two years or whatever that is, I mean, Mobley's got a ceiling that's not not too, I, I don't, it's very similar to Towns, honestly. I mean, I think his ceiling is is all-star plus, which is, which is Towns, right? I mean, Towns is already a multi-time all-star. He's made the all-NBA team. And Mobley, I think, has a higher defensive ceiling. Now, everybody thought Towns had a higher defensive ceiling when he came out several years ago. And, and I still think he's going to improve defensively, which is why I'm kind of lumping him into the two-way big category. But Mobley has a lot of similarities to Carl Anthony Towns, maybe a little less physical, maybe a little bit more talented defensively and is going to be a better shot blocker. Um, but if you could clone Carl Anthony Towns, wouldn't that be a great fit next to Carl Anthony Towns? We, we spent all this time talking about, oh, what's the best, best fit next to Towns? What about a better defensive, uh, you know, a defensive, a version of Towns that's better defensively and, you know, maybe not as, certainly not as polished offensively. He's not going to go in the post. That would be the one thing Towns would have on Mobley, certainly from day one, is Mobley's not going to score in the post like Towns does, but you don't need him to because you have Carl Anthony Towns. Um, so that's, this is, this is my dipping the toe into the draft conversation. And I mentioned this last week, but version 3.0 of the NBA mock draft, the lockdown NBA mock draft is, is completed. Now we are in the process of recording our picks and I'll have that on the, on the feed here later this week at lockdown wolves. I've posted the last two without myself, without yours truly involved in it. I am involved this time. I got one of the top three picks. I'm not going to tip my hand too much. Um, but I will be part of that draft. It will be on the feed later this week, likely Thursday, if I had to guess, uh, but we'll see. Um, and then we're going to start talking more about the draft in earnest. I'm going to have a couple of guests on draft-related guests, other Timberwolves, uh, folks that cover the Timberwolves to talk draft and uh, see, you know, we've got, we've at least got a little bit here to talk about it before we find out for sure whether or not we're all going to be disappointed. And actually, believe it or not, we're only a week away. Uh, a, week, a week from today is the, a week from Tuesday is the NBA draft lottery on the 22nd. So, at that point, we'll know whether to pull the plug on on a, a chunk of the draft coverage. Although, still, we'll cover it. You know, if the Wolves lose their pick, there's always a chance they trade back in, and the Wolves do have assets to do that if they're able to trade some of the guys on the roster, the existing guys on the roster. Um, you know, for a, a, I don't know, late first round pick, second round pick, they've got some assets, and and this is a stacked draft, so it wouldn't shock me if the Wolves did try to trade back in. Um, but anyway, we'll talk more about that here later this week. We'll have, Lockdown NBA Mock Draft 3.0 on the show later this week as well. Uh, next, though, today I want to talk about the NBA playoffs, of course, brought to us by Michelob Ultra, the discussion about the road to the finals. So that'll be next. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. 
Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action before the next pitch. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKED ON. Again, that's promo code LOCKED ON for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's also talk about rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the exact same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, let's talk NBA playoffs. And of course, anytime we talk NBA playoffs, we're reminded that the road to the NBA finals is brought to us by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season and the road to the final. I mean, we're getting close, right? I mean, we've already got one of the final four teams decided. The other series are all super exciting. Um, so we'll touch on where we're at here in all these series. The the two games on Monday night, we had the teams that were down 2-1, each one their respective games uh, at home. Atlanta beat Philadelphia 103 to 100 in the first game. And then the Clippers won at Staples. They beat Utah relatively easily, ended up winning by 14 in that game. In the Philly Atlanta game, Joel Embiid was the headline uh, because of course he's playing through the injury and, and looked great last time out. But he was 0 for 12 in the second half of this game. I think the stat was that was, I think the worst ever shooting half in terms of most field goals attempted without a make in a half. And it broke a Michael Jordan, uh, I guess, quote unquote record from like three decades ago. Uh, Embiid was 0 of 12 in the second half of this game, four for 20 overall, had 17 points, was perfect at the free throw line, but four of 20 from the field, 21 rebounds though, four assists. Uh, He did have four turnovers, led the team in turnovers. Um, And and, I mean, Philly just didn't have it in this game. They didn't, uh, there were, they just didn't appear to really, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it was a complete lack of urgency, but in the second half, it certainly felt that way. They only scored 38 points in the second half. Simmons almost had a triple-double, 11 points, 12 rebounds, nine assists, but uh, one of five at the free-throw line in a rough performance for him. And uh, Seth Curry was good. He was arguably, I, I mean, he, he and Tobias Harris were both were both quite good for the Sixers. And Trey Young had another high-usage game that was effective. He had 18 assists, though, to only two turnovers. And John Collins was very good, 14 and 12, uh, played fairly physical as far as John Collins' games go. And uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich had a good game as well. It took him 24 shots to get his 22 points, was four of 13 on threes. But, um, I mean, 
the Hawks have to, even though as a team, they didn't shoot the ball great from outside the arc 30% on the night. They're just going to keep chucking, and that's that's a big part of what they do. And Trey Young and, and Bogdanovich combined to shoot seven of twenty-four from outside the arc, but it was effective to some extent. And they ended up winning this game by three. And Bede missed a shot in the final seconds with them down by one. It would have been a, a, a game-winning, essentially a layup from in front of the rim, and he just he just missed it. And after the game, he blamed it on the knee. Said typically he would have dunked it, um, and said that for obvious reasons is how he phrased it. He wasn't able to uh, to get the lift to score that basket. So the Hawks. Went up 103 to 100 in the series, and now it's tied at two games apiece. Um, and as is as is the series on the other side there, the Milwaukee series, um, uh, Milwaukee and Brooklyn, that's also tied 2-2. So we've got one series that's done in the West, the 4-0 sweep from the Suns over the Nuggets. The other three series are all tied at two games apiece, which is awesome. Um, so the second game then from Monday night was Utah and the Clippers and Utah continues to play without Mike Conley. It seemed like there was a chance he was going to play and, and he's got to come back. Uh, you know, they took this two Oh series lead and felt maybe a little bit like they were playing with house money, even though they're the favorite team and they won the two at home, but going to Staples up two Oh and thinking you could maybe, if they could win one more without Conley, say they're still up three, one, you feel pretty good. But without Conley, uh, Utah just doesn't have the horses in the backcourt. Joe Ingles, of course, has been in the starting lineup and played much better. But Donovan Mitchell needs needs a secondary ball handler in the backcourt with him to, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I say needs, obviously, but he was still incredible. I talked about him earlier in the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week segment. He had 37 points in this one, a 9 of 26 shooting, 13 of 15 at the free throw line. He continues to, it's almost shades of Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever that was in the playoffs when he was getting to the line consistently. Um, Mitchell's getting to that point. Uh, in some of these games, uh, you know, late in the first round series. And now again, here in this round, um, just getting downhill and getting into the paint, getting to the free throw line. But Mike Conley would make such a huge difference for this team going up against a team like the Clippers that, uh, you know, has solid depth. Um, you know, the depth of the Clippers is is impressive. And I would argue that it's superior to that of of the Jazz. You know, Jordan Clarkson hasn't been great in this series. He, he had another rough shooting night in this one, two of eight outside the arc, three of 12 overall for Clarkson. Um, but Mitchell was really the only, the and I guess Ingles' performance were the only real bright spots in this one for the Jazz. And uh, the Clippers got 31 from Paul George, who finally had a really impressive game. They also got 31 from Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Marcus Morris broke out uh, somewhat in this game, 24 points, made five threes. And uh, the Clippers got enough offense to uh, to hold on late. The Jazz made a little bit of a run, but uh, the Clippers were up 17 after the first quarter and they were up uh 24 at halftime. And, and again, the jazz at least made things more respectable, but this thing was largely over by halftime with the Clippers jumping out to that big lead. So we've now got three series tied at two games apiece. We've only got one game for Tuesday night. That's Milwaukee and Brooklyn, uh, you know, with, with the injuries that Brooklyn's dealing with now with Kyrie Irving, also with James Harden, they may be in big trouble or they are in big trouble. Um, in Milwaukee, when it looked like there was a chance they could get completely swept, Brooklyn's injuries have, and and really a lack of, of real depth. I mean, there's names on that roster, but there isn't a ton of real depth. And of course, when you're losing your two best players, I guess it, it doesn't really matter how much depth you have when you're playing against Giannis and the Bucks, um, or against anybody in the second round of the playoffs. If you lose your, your two best players, if your two best players are banged up, then uh, you're going to be hurting in a big way. That's exactly what, what we're seeing here with the nets. Um, so we'll see who's, who's all available for the nets. Um, it's it certainly, there's a pretty good chance that neither one of those guys play in this pivotal game five. Um, so we'll see what happens here. Bucks nets on Tuesday night. We'll talk about that game on Wednesday. We'll get into some more draft stuff here as the week goes along as well here on the show. So be sure to stay tuned for that. 
Otherwise, that's all we have for you today here at Locked On Wolves. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. You can subscribe, follow this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That, of course, includes Apple as well as Google, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked On T-Wolves. That's at Locked On T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. And at B Beacon. And that's spelled B-B, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Today's episode was brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. We'll be back again tomorrow, of course, uh, and every day this week through Friday. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.